You know, welcome everybody. It's um, so great to see all of you. My name is Nancy Jacobson. I'm the original founder of this organization, and I just want to welcome all of you today. And I want you to take a moment. I mean, you'll see the numbers go up as we as we sit here at the uh, first couple of minutes. You know, look around. Uh, these are people from all across this country. Somehow you got notified of uh, what we're doing and something stirred in you to uh, take the time out and spend time with us for the next hour. And for that, um, I thank you. You know, I think it's fair to say, at least I can talk for myself, I think we're all worried. You know, this is something's different, you know. We're in a pandemic, uh, you know, the, the two sides are going at it at each other. And it's, it's a very uneasy time, uh, to say the least. And, and I think we're, we're all worried. And I think all bets are off. I mean, I, nobody can guarantee that we're going to get to the other side of this easily. Um, and uh, we are going to bring you through over the course of the next couple of weeks. What we would like to invite you to do with us is to spend a total of three sessions before the election learning alongside with us understanding the history of, of this movement, understanding uh, the reasons why this sort of politics, it's called the politics of problem solving, is the only way out for this country. We really believe that, that unless we get leaders from both sides figuring out a way to work together and solve these problems, we don't make it out to the other side in any, in any uh, good way. You should know that we are the people, you know, we're not, this is not some sort of fool's errand. I mean, we work closely with United States senators and U.S. congressmen, and they want to meet you. And as we grow this together, we're going to bring them into this session so you can speak directly to them and you can understand the important work that they're doing. You know, I, I, I look over, if you notice Margaret White, she's been my uh, partner on this project for about a decade. And um, the truth is these senators and these congressmen do believe this may be the only way, this sort of politics to really, to really save our, our country. So this is an urgent mission. You know, you are people each, I know some of you, it's good to see Luke Phillips again, and there's probably some other people that have crossed our paths over the course of time. But our hope is, is that you will become the leaders of this country as the years go on. And that if we can share with you uh, what we know to be true, that uh, working together, problem solving will be the only way out, uh, you will get, this will get embedded in you and you will take this forward. And we will do everything we can to empower you to, to make a difference as, as, as time goes on. So uh, three separate sessions. This is the first session, and I'd like to call on now Bill Galston. Bill, uh, just say hello, Bill, so we can see where you are. Hello, everybody. There's Bill Galston. So, so Bill is somebody I've known a long time. You know, he's, he's a thinker. He's uh, very well regarded. You'll see his column every week in the Wall Street Journal. Uh, he's regarded as one of the top thinking intellectual leaders uh, you know, in our country, really. He also teaches at times, so I don't know if any of you have ever taken a class from Bill Galston, but he understands this politics. It's what he's lived. He's worked in White Houses. Uh, he works at Brookings Institution now. Uh, he knows it, and you're, you should really, um, you'll remember uh, you know, sessions with Bill because he, he can uh, really inform you and educate you. So I, here is Bill Galston, and I'd love him to sort of kick this off and take, take us through. Well, I'd like to spend, thank you, Nancy, and I'd like to spend about five minutes just explaining why the brand of, of politics and political conduct that No Labels has stood for since its founding 10 years ago is so essential for the future of the country. That is not hyperbole. We have two political parties in this country, two major political parties, I should say. The minimum number that a constitutional democracy requires in order to function. And the way our institutions were set up under the Constitution, our government cannot work 
unless the two political parties are able to cooperate. Now, political parties stand for something. They don't agree on everything. They can disagree deeply, but at the end of the day, especially when political parties are closely divided numerically, neither can impose its will on the other, not for very long, because majorities in the House and the Senate these days are unstable and shifting very regularly. The alternative to cooperation is gridlock and deepening antagonism. And unfortunately, because the two political parties have lost both the skill and the will of compromising to solve problems, gridlock and deepening antagonism are what we've been getting. And they are what No Labels is determined to fight against with all the energy and commitment that we can. Now, many of you have grown up in this kind of antagonistic, deeply partisan politics. You may believe that it has always been this way. You'd be pardoned for believing that. But have you may, uh, as you may have noticed from the color of my hair, I'm a little bit older than you are. And so let me, you know, let me just read you some numbers. Uh, 97 to nothing, 99 to nothing, 98 to nothing. What do those numbers represent? Well, Anthony Kennedy, nominated by Ronald Reagan, was approved to the Supreme, uh, as a justice of the Supreme Court by a vote of 97 to nothing. Sandra Day O'Connor, the first woman to sit on the court, was approved by a vote of 99 to nothing. And the late Antonin Scalia, do you remember him? The most famous conservative justice to sit on the Supreme Court for generations, nominated by Ronald Reagan, approved by the Senate by a vote of 98 to nothing. This may seem incredible to you, but these are facts. Well, for some of you, maybe the uh, 1980s are ancient history. Well, let's take a look at what happened in Bill Clinton's administration. Stephen Breyer, approved by a bipartisan vote of 87 to nine. And Ruth Bader Ginsburg, whose death we all mourn regardless of party, was approved by a vote of 96 to three. No conservative who voted for her was under any illusions about where her political sympathies lay. How could they be? but they judged her on the basis of her record, her jurisprudence, her skill as a litigator, her analytical mind, and the standard of qualifications not seen through the prism of partisanship was the norm as late as the 1990s. So the lesson I want to leave you with is that the past 20 years years represent a sharp break in American history when cooperation gave way to ever increasing partisanship. The fact that it hasn't always been this way means that it doesn't have to remain the way it now is. We can move forward to a better brand of politics. We can move forward to a brand of politics where the two political parties can cooperate to get aid to states and localities and unemployed people who desperately need it. That would seem to be a no-brainer, right? That's a problem. 
right? It's not some abstract philosophical debate. That's a problem that tens of millions of people are now experiencing. Why can't we solve that problem? The answer is we can if we work for it. And that is the work of no labels. Uh, I think I will now turn the, po the virtual podium over to Ryan Clancy, right, Nancy, who's going to walk us through the history of this remarkable organization. Ryan? Thank you, Bill. Uh, and thank you all for joining. Um, Bill gave us a great history there on why bipartisanship isn't just a nice thing, but it is essential to everything we've understood as to what this country is about. And Bill walked you through some of the implications for what bipartisanship means in the Supreme Court. I wanna also rope in a couple other things if we're just talking about legis legislation. I'm gonna go out on a limb here and assume all of you are pretty well educated on political history. So let me throw out a few things for you. Social Security Act, creation of Medicare, Civil Rights Act, Voting Rights Act. In the 80s, tax reform, fixing Social Security for the next generation, 90s, balanced budget. What do every single one of those things have in common? Votes from both parties, overwhelmingly so. And there's a reason for that, that that matters. Because when legislation moves that way, it actually stands the test of time in a way that the way we do things today does not. Every party, each side today operates on something I call the king for a day delusion. And it's, it's this idea that if we can just destroy the other party in the next election, then we can get all the power we want and we don't have to work with the other side. Except the problem is that day, that day never really comes. And what we get is gridlock. And I wanna hone in before I get into the history of no labels on something that I'm sure will be very immediate to all of you. This summer, you all saw and have experienced the debate over um, civil justice issues in policing. And here's what I want all of you to know. There is a deal to be had between Democrats and Republicans and House and Senate members because I and everybody in no labels was on the calls all summer. There really is agreement there. But what has happened is that people on both sides, and I mean House and Senate leadership and rank and file members, have made a decision that they would rather run on this issue and demonize the other side rather than solve it. And that to us is unacceptable. It's unacceptable on this issue. It's unacceptable for any problem you want to identify. And it's that core problem that No Labels was designed to solve. We have been around for 10 years, we have been gradually building something that had never existed before. And what that is, is a bipartisan block of House and Senate members who are trying to get to yes while the rest of Washington is stuck on no. The great news about our movement and why we're so, so excited to have so many of you here today is what I'm talking about is not theoretical. It's actually happening right now. Despite all the dysfunction you're reading about every day, and if you read nothing but the headlines, you could be forgiven for thinking everything is getting worse and there's no hope for anything to get better. And yet, because of the work of No Labels, there is a group of 50 House members that are organized into this thing called the Problem Solvers Caucus, which is working every day to try to fix things. And now an emerging group of eight senators who are working to do the same thing. And as we think about the political divisions that are ripping this country apart, if we don't empower a group like this, then I'm really not sure what the alternative is, other than what we've had, which is every couple of years, you get power ping-ponging back and forth between the parties. Um, they try to ram something through. Maybe they get lucky and they can do it, but it only lasts for a couple of years and then it goes away or we get total gridlock. And so we feel like the, 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 the moment for this movement has arrived. Um, Nancy, our founder, who you heard from at the top, she's described what we do um, as almost a form of insurance for the country that we hoped it wouldn't happen, but maybe there would come this moment where the divisions in this country would get so great 
that the only way we'd get through it is if you've got a group of Republicans and Democrats who are willing to hang together to do what's best for the country. And that's what we built, that's what we're building, and that's what we wanna invite all of you to be a part of. So that is um, a little opening sense of our movement. We're gonna talk a lot more over the course of the next 45 minutes about some of the details and no labels, but hopefully that gives you a sense of what we've done, where we're coming from, and why we think what we're doing is so important. Great, and I, I see people uh, putting their schools in the chat, and we're up to 41 of you that did it. I think there's something just psychologically good about just going in the chat, putting your name, saying that you're part of this, so keep that coming, keep it going. Uh, you know, good thinking, Sophia, who, who put that out there. But I want to introduce Sophie Pekin. You know, Sophie is somebody I knew when she was in high school, when she interned with us uh, for, from Sidwell Friends School in Washington, D.C. She's now at the University of Pennsylvania as a sophomore. And so she's somebody that has, for the last couple of years, gotten, you know, more acquainted and educated with, with this new politics uh, here. So we'd love to hear from you, Sophie, to, to sort of talk about your experience and, and, you know, why this connects to you. Hi, I'm Sophie. It's so nice to see all of you and thank you so much for coming. I would also love to give a special shout out to our steering committee for their support and their great ideas. Um, yeah, so as a college student, as a young adult, I think it's easy to only associate with people who hold the same beliefs as you. And I can think of so many peers who not only refuse to hear from people with differing political views, but decline to even acknowledge the existence of different opinions. So what the No Labels Youth Congress is trying to do is in essence not an easy task. We're bringing together a group of individuals from across the country willing to hear different opinions and take an active role as leaders and change makers. Together, we're gonna to work to discuss important issues. So something I'd really like to emphasize about the No Labels Youth Congress is the importance of action. That is spreading the word about no labels and bipartisanship to as many people as you can. I really urge you to be proactive in reaching out to and having conversations with people who believe different things than you. It's up to our generation to be the change we wish to see in our country. And I know that we have the power to create good. So thank you all so much for coming. I look forward to hearing your thoughts and I look forward to seeing you in the future. So our, our thinking is just, just for right now is to check back in with all of you, right? You've heard from Bill, you've heard from Ryan, you've heard from Sophie, myself. You know, we just wanna see, start a conversation with all of you. Does this resonate? You know, does it make sense? Um, you know, uh, what do you think? And so we'd love you to, you know, we'd love to see if we can break the ice here. You just, uh, get into, I don't know, Dan, how it exactly works. Are you going to be taking? Yeah, so why don't we go ahead and we'll use the raise hand function for this call because we do have uh, quite a number of you out there. So we want to get to as many people as possible. Um, so like Nancy said, if you have a thought, question, comment, um, we'll have a point to add to the discussion. Please um, use the raise hand function. Um, you see it at the bottom of your screen on, uh, on the Zoom screen. And we'll try to get to as many as possible here in the next 20, uh, excuse me, 40 minutes or so. Um, so I'll go ahead and call on you as we, as we go down the list. So I see Daniel from Chicago. We'll go ahead and start with you, Daniel. Hey, how's everyone doing today? Good. Um, okay. So I, I just would like to uh, discuss the bipartisanship and Bill uh, talking about those Senate confirmation numbers, uh, Ryan talking about the effort to get bipartisanship out there. How do you, I feel like right now we're in a political ecosystem that seemingly incentivizes partisanship and not bipartisanship. How do you change that ecosystem to get to the point where it is made apparent, not just to those inside of it, but everyone outside of it, that really this hyper-partisanship and this king for a day is not the answer, but really working together is the answer. How do you get there? How do you start that conversation Ryan, want to go first? Sure. Um, that is a, a great question, and it really gets to the core of what our movement is all about, is if you want to understand why the system is so dysfunctional and partisanship is so bad, the easiest answer is it is all about the incentives, and all the incentives are terrible. And what I mean by that is if you are a politician 
who wants to get elected, reelected, and you know, move up in leadership in your party. There's not a lot of reward for actually doing what we just described, which is being a bipartisan problem solver. The reward in terms of how do you raise money, how do you get votes, uh, comes from going us on MSNBC or Fox and demonizing the other side and um, you know, taking sort of very intransigent positions. You don't really have to deliver anything. And everything No Labels is trying to do in one way or another has to do with changing those incentives. And we really do it two ways. One, we do a lot of fundraising to help these kinds of candidates. And two, we organize citizens across the country and folks like you to try to get engaged. Who, people who are calling members and emailing members and going to town halls. Because the issue is the extremes on both sides are actually very small numerically, but they show up. Right? They vote, they give, they go to town halls, they get involved. And as a consequence, they punch well above their weight in, in our political system. And so if we changed that, if we actually got more people who share this politics, which is the majority of the country, uh, I can, we, we can show you over time as you get more involved with us, poll after poll confirms this. We, we are speaking for most of the country. They just don't have a voice right now. And that's what we're trying to, to give them. Bill, uh, Curious to hear your thoughts on that too. Well, let me just add one point, Ryan. Uh, and, it, and it builds on the history of no labels that you provided. We are trying to show by example that bipartisanship can actually get serious work done. Uh, and I'll give, you, uh, I'll give you one very contemporary example. Uh, I referred in my opening remarks to the fact that the two political parties are at loggerheads on what to do about the next round of pandemic relief. Well, to everybody's amazement, after weeks of behind the scenes negotiations, the 25 Democrats and 25 Republicans in the House of Representatives stepped forward with a bipartisan, a comprehensive bipartisan proposal on pandemic relief. And what happened after that proposal was released was amazing. Uh, editorial boards all over the country hailed this plan. Uh, the leaders of our problem solvers in the House were invited to more media events and presentations than, <laughs> than they could attend. Uh, and they were, they were associated, in short, with a success against the odds. Now, you may say a proposal is not success. Correct. But if you've been following things in the past few days, you will notice an increasing sense among Democrats and Republicans that going back to the voters with no bill at all uh, is not going to earn them a very warm reception. And so there are indications that the two political parties are going to get back to the table, even in the face of the extraordinary controversy over, uh, the, con uh, over the effort to replace uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Uh, so that's, you know, that's one thing, demonstrate that it's possible. Here's the second thing, and No Labels has been particularly active here. We have set up programs to protect and reward people who step on in both political parties who step forward to do the right thing uh, and who will be subject to partisan criticism as a result. Uh, we call it air cover uh, and it's extremely important. Uh, so we have to think not only about ideals but also about incentives and we're trying to use both to overcome what, what you rightly call uh, the negative ecosystem. Thanks for kicking us off, Daniel. Uh, Ethan, you're up next. Yes, hi. So uh, this is gonna be, so forgive me, if this, if this is all about the protests and the violence in our country. I mean, on the far left, you got the organization BLM and Antifa, and then when I looked at the far right, you got QAnon. Now, as I noticed, Far right violence is 
skewing up, up as much as you know, the oil seizure, black lives matter, matter, and this is oil seizure. I mean, I do love a slogan, black lives also matter. I just don't care about the oil seizure and Antifa. Now, is it possible? No. Now, is it, there's a reason why I don't trust all of these you know, organizations because now I'm glad the FBI is considered QAnon, a terrorist organization, along with BLM, the organization, and Antifa. Now, is it possible that all now, now this is why now this is what I really don't understand. Why is all of these organizations, organizations you know, really love violence. You know, far right and far left. I don't even understand. Ethan, it's, that, that's, that's a really powerful question you're asking. And it really speaks, I think, to the urgency of the work that we're doing, is that there are people who get so frustrated with the system that we have that they think the answer is violence. And it's not. And the, you're, you're exactly right. Um, and, and so what we are trying to do is take the temperature down. We know we are getting into a very contentious period in this country, and we have never needed more than we do now to have reasonable and responsible leaders stand up and say, we are all Americans. This election matters. It matters a lot. But what matters most is keeping our country. Uh, and that's what we're fighting for. Absolutely. Uh, any other, you know, just uh, anybody else come forward? Dan? Christy, uh, Justin up next. And just tell us where you're from, Justin. Yeah, hi. I'm Justin Gannon. Can everyone hear me? I've never used this before. Yeah. Loud and clear. All right, we're good. Um, so I'm from Connecticut. And my thought on politics, my issue with politics, is I feel that politicians don't ever focus on issues that everyone can agree on. It rather seeks out to find stuff to argue about. Um, an example I would give is uh, California right now. They have these wildfires going on and it's really sad. You see people's homes burning, this and that. And if I look at the history of the area, I come to find out a corporation like Nestle has bought 5.4 quadrillion gallons of their local water. And that's the water that replenishes their rain. And these are things that are just allowed to happen because we're focused on what's happening in the Middle East or what's happening in this and that. And here's a major American corporation lighting Americans on fire. And, and we're too busy to talk about that. We, we have concentration camps in the South right now that Trump is running for pedophiles. It's terrifying. What are we doing? I mean, look, that, that's such a great question. And I'll tell you what, there's, there's two things. You, you talked at the top about how we focus so much on what we disagree on as opposed to what we agree on. And if you listen to the House problem solvers, who are co-chaired by a guy named Tom Reed on the Republican side and Josh Gottheimer on the Democratic side, they will tell you over and over again that they start from the beginning with looking at what do we agree on? We know there's going to be these 20% of things. Maybe we're not going to get there on right now. And we're not going to focus on that. We're going to focus on things that we can get to yes on. Meaning, if you're a Democrat and I'm a Republican, maybe you and I don't agree on abortion or guns. And, you know, maybe we might not get there. But why does that mean we shouldn't then be able to work on infrastructure or immigration or the budget or a COVID relief deal? And there's too many people in Washington that think because we disagree on this one thing, you're the enemy and we can't agree on anything. Um, and that is not how our group operates. They are focusing on the real problems that matter. Well, let me take up the other half of that question, California. And here you have something very interesting going on. The governor of California says that this epidemic of wildfires that's really charring the state is being caused by climate change. The president of the United States says, no, no, it's bad forest management. Guess what? They're both right, <laughs> but they're arguing. 
And unfortunately, when each political party has a portion of the truth and you put them together and you get a stronger, better truth, it's very, very sad and counterproductive when a political party says my piece of the truth is the totality of the truth and we don't recognize what's valid when coming from the other political party. That's the, situ that's the situation we're in. Uh, but the kind of the, the politicians that we're supporting and helping to organize are people who think in terms of both and and not either or. And that simple shift of mindset, you know, looking how you can add the strengths of different ideas and different voices to come up with something that's stronger than any one voice is the essence of politics in a constitutional democracy. And it's what we're trying to model in the way we conduct this organization. And it's what we're trying to encourage among elective official, elected officials at every level of our governmental system. And by the way, we're, we're working with governors as well as federal officials. Can I pose a question to the group, you know, for all of you to think about? Can, can somebody here answer why they think it's important that all of you should care, right? I mean, how this will affect you, whatever's happening today. Can anybody sort of help us, you know, you know answer? How is it going to affect all of you, right? Once you graduate college or now that you're in the working world, love to hear it. Anybody? Uh, hi everyone, uh, my name is Samuel. Um, I'm currently a senior at, uh, at Columbia here in New York City. Uh, and just to answer uh, Nancy's question, I don't know if you prefer Nancy or uh, Jacobson, uh, but uh, good. But um, I would say that the basic idea is that regardless of age right now, the idea of continuity is something that is firmly ingrained in every primal being's, uh, you know, DNA. And of course, everyone has the inclination to expand on and continue their own bloodline and the bloodline of the species, bloodline of the country. Uh, so if we want to maintain the security and safety that we feel so, that we've felt up to this point, at least relative to other countries, then we need to go about devising a way to, to fix the institutional and structural weaknesses that have pervaded the political system uh, and have you know, grown so rampant over the course of the past few decades. And that starts with a greater emphasis on bipartisanship and mending those broken ties from people who are going to have a greater stake in the nation and the world's future uh, coming up pretty soon. Well, Sam, go ahead, Ryan. Uh, let me just say, for starters, that is that is a lot more thoughtful analysis of the political system than I had when I was your age. So, <laughs> you're you're on your way. Thank you. Um, but look, you just you make such a great point because you know if you think about the dividing line in our system right now, it isn't so much between right and left, although Democrats and Republicans have very different ideas. It really is in a sense between kind of actors on both sides who are in effect saying the system is so broken and corrupt, we just need to burn the whole thing down. And people who have done their history know that every single time that that happens, it ends badly for everybody. We have a system here that has sustained us for 250 years and notwithstanding this awful 2020 we have, we still remain the, the, the best, most prosperous country uh, on, on, on the planet. And you don't throw that away overnight. You need to be so thoughtful about how you drive change. And um, that's what you're going to find as you get involved with this movement, is you're just going to find really thoughtful people at the grassroots level and really thoughtful leaders among the elected officials we support who really do embody this idea of country over party, who are very committed Democrats and Republicans, liberals and conservatives, and yet they recognize, I have, I have to work with people with whom I disagree. 
And that's how change is going to happen. And change is almost never going to involve me getting 100% of what I want. Um, and that's a thing called democracy. And, and that's what we're working on to protect. And can I ask another question as we go? And Samuel, you're right, very, so well spoken and said. Um, uh, question, do any of you feel pressure at all from your, you know, sort of friend group or the people you know uh, in any which way during this time? I mean, does anybody feel like, you know, you can't say what you want to say or, or uh, comment with what you want to comment or you're not commenting enough um, and it's feeling, it doesn't feel like America uh, for some reason. I, I just love to find that out and feel free. This is a safe space. Um, do you mind if I step in? Go ahead. Um, so I, uh, I, I'm on my local planning commission and I've been a lifelong Republican, but I'm a social moderate. And so uh, a few months ago, I was recruited by the party to run for state delegate in Virginia. Our elections are off cycle. And so I was given it a real hard look and then they started the label. I'm sorry. Keep keep going. Yeah. Somebody um and so I was given it a real hard look until I had to sit down with party leadership and talk about where I am on the issues. <laughs> and and they were asking me where I am in particular on on gay rights and and the pro-choice, pro-life thing. And, you know, I am where my district is and being associated with a group like you all is, would help me in a general election. Um, but the party told me that, look, if you're pro-choice, we want you to run, but we're gonna convention you. And so, you know, having an association with a group like you all would help me in a primary because we have these open primaries, which I really think in Virginia is a gift because it helps us start to build coalitions for a general election. However, I don't stand a chance in a convention because they'll turn out a hundred people and it's really demoralizing that I can't be myself and, and uh, you know, stand for what I want because I've dreamed of running my entire life. And Bobby Kilberg has you know, been helping me on this issue and, and that's how I'm here uh, as Bobby recommended this uh, to be involved. But, this issue has come to define our party. And in a primary, it's not really an issue, but in the state of Virginia, a social moderate gets up and they convention him and they turn out all the far writers. And so I just, I don't know what your all's thought is, you know, how to overcome conventions because it's such an outdated system. Well, uh, let me respond to that because it's, it's a terrific and very serious problem. Uh, one, of, one of our best friends, someone you've probably heard of, former Congressman Tom Davis, uh, yeah, you know, who, you know, who's been working with us for years, uh, has said publicly, he was planning, he was thinking seriously about running for governor. You may know this story. Uh, and, but when, but when he found out that the party was not going to hold a primary that year, but was going to was going to make the nomination by convention. Uh, he came to exactly the same conclusion you did, and that is the deck was stacked against him. Now here's the and unfortunately, that's not any that's not anything that federal law affects. It may not even be something that state law affects. It is probably a decision of the party and not the state legislature to do it that way. And that makes, that makes it a particularly tough question. But let me give you a word of encouragement. I was reading a public opinion survey just last week, and I was interested to, to discover the following fact. Democrats are considered to be the pro-choice party but 40% of rank and file Democrats are pro-life. Republicans are considered to be the pro-life party, but 40% of Republicans are pro-choice. Right? And so, you know, and, and so the way the, you know, the way the parties describe the situation is just not consistent with the facts on the ground. There's so much more room for agreement here 
there's so much gray between the extremes of black and white uh, that there really is hope for young people like you to try to build you know, on that gray area where people aren't so darn sure of themselves, where they acknowledge that there's strength to both sides of the argument. And so you're much too young to surrender just because the state party is temporarily acting in a way that is going to make <laughs> your future more difficult. It's not always going to be this way if you stick to your guns, right? The worst thing you can do is sell your soul for political advancement. And I'm glad, I'm glad to see that you're not doing that. Uh, Gianna, I think I saw your hand waving there too. Would you like to add something in? Yes, definitely. Um, I'm Gianna, I'm from the DFW Metroplex. I 100% def- I, I associate with this because living in the four counties that are primarily usually blue because it's such a populous area, um, I will either run into, but then we're surrounded by rule. I either run into very, very conservative right wing or on campus, especially it is pure liberal. And it's like, I hate Trump, like everything. And I'm sitting here. I'm like, can we like talk? And we never talk. (laughs) It just doesn't happen. (laughs) Like, can can we talk about issues instead of the people you don't like? Because what all it reminds me of is a book by, um, I'm forgetting the author's first name, but it's 70 years old. It's Morris. It's his narrative of his Texas life. And he quotes like kamikaze liberals. I'm like, we haven't evolved that much because all we do is constantly slander the opposite instead of meet in a middle ground where I think most of us have come to because we recognize, and especially in the last, this summer, this 2020, what this year has brought is we recognize each other's humanity more than ever, but all the parties are bringing us is kamikaze like chaos. And that's, that's just where I constantly find myself. Well, uh, I think there are probably a lot of people on this call who resonate very deeply with what you just said. All I can say is I spent 10 years in Texas at the beginning of my career, and I feel your pain. <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about. But that, you know, thanks for bringing that up. And, you know, that's, all of you are starting to see the promise of what a group like this can be, right, for all of you. As we keep you convened, as we add in more, that this can be that sort of safe space. And also, if you all can be the change that you wanna see, you're gonna be powerful uh, and we're gonna help you be powerful. So thanks for sharing that. Any, we wanna keep hearing, does anybody else connect to, to, to that question that we asked? Yes, anyway, uh, I'm Ibe Cassidy. I'm gonna do the Wolf's yeah. Comedic. Okay, oh, go ahead. Yeah, because we've heard from you and I just wanna make sure Dan no, uh, I think it's uh, Adriana has her hand up. I uh, would like to. Yes, yes, I would like to add something. Um, I completely relate. One, Gianna, my name's Adriana. I'm in my first year of my master's program at Penn State right now, and I feel like with this presidential debate coming up on Tuesday, there has been especially high pressure in my cohort for people that are more liberal or left-leaning to only associate with each other. And the Republicans were quickly identified in my cohort. And most of the liberals just decided to back away from them. And they were just kind of like the red line, stay away from them. And I'm someone that likes to facilitate conversations. So in arranging a watch party to watch the debate with people that stand on both sides, there already has just been so much conflict because one side just refuses to hear the other, even though some of the Republicans aren't even that big of a fan of Trump and are more moderate. I just don't think this divisiveness is helping anybody at all. And the more you just sit down and actually listen to the policies people are in favor for, the more you see that commonality. So definitely in this young mid 20s age age group, I feel like there is a lot of social pressure to subscribe to one side and not even bother listening to compromise. And I think we need a lot less of that in general. Can I ask you, and thanks for sharing that, right? And and Ryan, I'm going to also look to you because it's something we spoke about on Friday. And I'd like Ryan almost to share it, but because I would like in our final 10 minutes here to even have a conversation and you can give us some advice on this. 
we obviously are very concerned with what's going to happen mm -hmm. with this election and the aftermath. And we as an organization are looking to engage the day after because we're going to have to figure out a way to bring peace back to this country. And, and Ryan can sort of share even the concept mm -hmm. and, and the idea that we're, we're thinking about. But I, I think, Ryan, it would be interesting to have a conversation because young people are going to be very very important the days after this election and and the weeks leading up to whenever we finally have a president and then uh, accepting that president, whoever that may be. So Ryan, do you want to explain the concept that we're thinking of um, executing on and then having some conversation here, what can, uh, how can our young people get engaged here? Sure. Thanks, Nancy. Um, and, and look, before I say that, I just want to say like to Gianna, Adriana, everybody on this call, it sounds like, I know it can feel isolating that, you know, you sort of, so many other people don't kind of like get this, but trust me when I say most of the country feels how you feel. Um, it's just, you're not going to find that on Twitter. You're not going to find it on social media. Like, like Twitter is not the country. And, um, and so, so there is a big community out here and it's very exciting to get it mobilized. But to Nancy's point, look, one of the things we are very concerned about is it is very likely we're not going to know who the president is on the night of the election. And what's gonna happen, the sort of natural momentum that's gonna exist is that the day after, the political and legal apparatus of both parties are gonna to go to battle in the courts. And there's a not insignificant threat that the activists on both sides are gonna to wanna to go to battle in the streets. And the single most important thing in this country's history is the peaceful transfer of power. That is what distinguishes us from everybody else. And it's and so we as a movement are gonna stand so strongly behind the idea that we need to let the votes be counted. We, let, we need to let the people's voice be heard and we need to be peaceful and unified in what's gonna be just a couple weeks of uncertainty. And, 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 and we're, we're curious for how we might be able to start mobilizing this group um, to help spread that message and to help rally people to that cause in what's gonna be a very difficult post-election period. And what we are looking to do, and it's something that, you know, it's come up very quickly uh, in the last short while, is run a national TV campaign, you know, calling for, you know, the, this, this sort of calm with our uh, Republican and, and Democratic leaders, you know, in the House and the Senate. And so there could be, you know, sort of a, young person's component to this. Uh, you know, if we do this national ad and I, you know, there could be a digital side to all of this. So I do think this is something that I want you all to be thinking about, you know, your leaders here be, between Madison, Sophie, Ted and Sophia and Dan, you know, those are people that you should be reaching out to because if you do have something, um, you know, some ideas for that, that's something we would wanna engage with. Um, I know that, you know, we have about 10 minutes more um, and I'm and I know that our plan is and I, I don't know if Dan or Margaret wants to maybe Margaret you want to share what the sequence is because there there's a you know we're sort of thinking that this is going to be two more sessions before we really come up with what is it that we're all going to work on together as a community uh, so two more learning sessions and Margaret I don't know if you want to uh, you know, Margaret's our executive director of the organization. She's been working on this project for, for 10 years herself, right out of college. But Margaret, uh, you want to explain what the next couple of weeks will bring for everybody? Sure. Thank you, Nancy. I think we're going to try to hold two more of these educational sessions before the election um, and then really get into, you know, assigning out the leadership and the structure. Um, I know that was one of the questions in the group chat earlier. Um, so we'll be looking to do that once we get through the election. Um, but in the interim, you can look forward to October 14th at 8 p.m. Eastern time will be our next session. Uh, Dr. Bill Galston will be back with us and talking about um, some of the political polarization um, and bipartisanship um, it, throughout history. Um, and then we will hear right before the election um, from a uh, very renowned pollster, Mark Penn, who will walk through what voters are really thinking and what voters really want. Um, so those will be kind of our next two um, educational forums. We are gonna be taking into consideration and, and setting up you know, a way that everybody can stay connected in the interim. Um, there've been a lot of great different platform ideas 
that have come up in the chat throughout this call. So we're going to make sure that we keep everybody connected um, because I know that's something that everybody's very interested in too, the networking relationship that this is going to bring um, in the community that it's going to build. So those are kind of the next few weeks here um, up until the election. Yeah, and I want to make sure in our next session as well that Ryan Clancy is going to give you the history of no labels and actually what we're doing, right? I mean, because we have a caucus, you know, in the house, we we created it. It's called the Problem Solvers Caucus. We named it. We grew, you know, we we brought all those meetings together. We helped put the leadership in, and now we have, uh, you know, a, a, you know, a, there, there are phases to this, you know, in terms of where where our plan is and what we're doing. And the second phase is building a Senate. Uh, Senate partners with our House. And we do now have eight United States senators working with us on the Democratic side, Kirsten Sinema, Jackie Rogeson, Angus King, and Joe Manchin. On the Republican side, Susan Collins, uh, John Cornyn, Todd Young, and uh, Senator Cassidy. So we have eight of these and there we convene them, you know, uh, as we see leaders grow from this group and people that are really helping to build this community. Hopefully you'll you'll come and witness these bicameral sessions we do. And Ryan will then talk to you about our, our due date. It's 2024. I don't know how old everybody's going to be or where you're going to be at 2024, but we have a deadline. We believe there will be a problem solver president by 2024, and we're going to have to move people into that administration, several hundred people, because until we get a president that's a problem solver, a couple hundred people in a bureaucracy, the senators and house where we can convene them, we can communicate with them, um, we can help uh, bring them together to, to chart a path forward. You don't have a block. And so this is all about creating a new coalition, a new block inside our government. It uh, looks like Lucas saying Madison Mangles for president. Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll be there. But, you know, we, we are the outside group that helps these problem solvers uh, with all things, you know, including funding and, and everything else. And that's the vision. But I think it's really important for the next session with Bill is to delve a little bit more into the history of bipartisanship and understanding why it's the only way forward and then understanding on the practical side what we're doing. You know, the whole point is so hopefully some of you are going to start stepping up, becoming leaders of this community, recruiting others, spreading the word. And then we are going to figure out you as a group where, how you'll make your impact. We're going to, we're going to help you. We're, we're looking to do a big advertising campaign right after the election. Uh, we'll be, you know, with our senators and our congressmen calling for this politics. And the thinking is, how can we get you all to add into that? So I don't know if um, Ryan and Bill, you know, because we're closing out soon, you know, Dan, maybe a, a one more, one or two more questions before they, they close out for us. Sure, we can get a few in. Um, and if, if you don't, or if you aren't able to ask your question, if you think of one later, you can always direct them to Madison uh, Mangles, Madison at nolabels.org. We'll be sure to get back to you as soon as we can. Uh, I see Omar up next and then Jalen, if we have time. So Omar, do you want to go next? Um, hey guys, I just wanted to thank you guys for putting this event together. It's really important to get young people involved. Um, and so my question has to do with engaging young people. And like, I have a podcast where I talk to young people from all around the political spectrum about where they stand and what issues they care about. And one thing that I've noticed amongst people my age and even younger is that they're really disillusioned with political institutions. They don't trust our politics. They don't trust the Democratic or Republican Party. And there's a lot of polling to back that up, you know. Um, and I think when they see things like, you know, unfairness in our elections or, you know, a system that doesn't address issues that they care about, like uh, college debt, for instance, or, you know, when the when the coronavirus package came out, what was the one group that was left out? It was people from the age of 18 to 24 specifically, you know, so when they see that it leads them to distrust political institutions and political parties. So my question is, like, how do you engage young people within the political system, but within the system of, of a political duopoly that one doesn't address their needs and two uh, is one that they fundamentally are starting to disagree with. Um, here's a one quick question, one quick uh, answer to that, Omar. And I think it's so important um, to emphasize 
Everything you see from the political system at the top line, when you just read news and social media, reinforces every single thing you just said. Because people have no experience with the system actually working. But when you get into this movement, and over time you're going to actually get to meet and be on calls with some of these leaders, you're actually going to see that there is another side. There actually are leaders who don't spend all day yelling and screaming at each other, who actually are trying to solve the problems you care about. And when you see that up close, it's transformative. And it makes you recognize that if we could just empower more leaders like this, there is a way we could make it work for everybody, but in, in particular for young people. Let, Omar, let me just add a little piece of history here. I'm not up there with Methuselah, uh, but I'm gaining fast. Uh, and uh, I can tell you that in my lifetime, both political parties have been transformed by insurgencies of young people who felt left out of the establishment. It happened first in the Republican Party, where a group of conservatives called Young Americans for Freedom got together and less than 20 years after they organized, the Republican Party had been completely converted to their views. The same thing happened to the Democratic Party in the late 1960s and early 1970s. Uh, and so the idea that these establishments, this establishment duopoly, is like a block of granite, which you're trying to move with a pea shooter. I understand, the why, I understand why you feel that way, but history suggests that when young people get together, they can move these blocks of granite uh, if they're patient and determined. Uh, one other thing, if I, if I could, uh, you know, a number of you have asked the question, well, what can we do right now? Guess what? There is something. One young woman you know, talked about her efforts to organize bipartisan watch parties for the presidential debates. That is a fantastic idea. And it's something that everybody on this call can do. I note with interest that there was an animated chat discussion chat discussion about it after she made that proposal. Give it a try. And if you're moved, as it's going on, take notes and get back to us with some feedback as to how this effort went, where it succeeded, where it failed, what you learned. Uh, you, can, you can begin in small ways that add up to something larger over time. So I think we're going to close out for right now. That you know, one thing I'd love to do because we really want to hear from all of you, and we want to guide this in a way that's going to work for all of you. I, I I'd almost say, you know, Madison and Sophie and Ted and everybody, Sophia, to do a survey monkey, you know, some sort of survey after this call, and get some input from all of you. You know, what do you really want to be discussing? What do you want to hear about? And you know, our hope is as we get together over the course of the next couple of weeks, we're gonna have an answer of what our action is. What are we gonna do with this community we're building? It's not clear yet, right? I mean, we know as an organization, we're gonna run our television ads, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna put our message out, but we really wanna continue that conversation uh, as we go. But if we could do a survey after, um, that would be great. And also, I think somebody just put in the chat that we do have some campaigns. If anybody wants to volunteer on any of our member of Congress campaigns, talk to Dan Conway uh, up at the top to get you plugged in to any of our problem solvers that are doing their congressional campaigns. And our next uh, meeting is the October 15th, 14th, Wednesday night at eight. Could each of you bring one person? That would be great. One other person to add into it. You're gonna hear about no labels. Uh, exactly who we are. You're going to hear about the history of this and why it is essential uh, we govern in this manner. Um, and then we'll get our polling as our last session. But through this time, we're going to figure out what our call to action is, what we're going to be doing. Could you, So we're going to ask you to bring one friend to this. I think this session, we'll make a little video out of this session. So if somebody missed this session, they'll get a little flavor of us with a little video if Levi can put that together, Dan, uh, would be great. 
And uh, Margaret, is there anything we left out or anything else that we need to before we send everybody on their way? I think we covered it and we just thank everybody for tuning in on a Saturday, taking your time. Um, a lot of really great ideas coming out of this call. We'll be sure to send around the survey to make sure we get on the right channel um, for staying connected and just really look forward to seeing everyone again on October 14th at 8 p.m. Eastern time. Thank you all so much. Have a great rest of your weekend.